This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Alrighty, well, today we're joined uh, on the show uh, by the managing director and CEO of Raise Investment Limited, uh, George Lucas, and we had George on the show in October last year. Uh, I went and interviewed him uh, in the Raise offices, or they were previously Acorns offices, uh, and we had a great chat all about uh, George's uh, history and and what Acorns is all about. So. We've got him on the show today to discuss a couple of major changes that have occurred uh, to his business over the last uh, five months or so and looking forward to getting stuck into it. But George, I think one opening question that I would like to ask you is what's one thing that you think millennials need to understand more about investing? The one thing, I guess, is kind of the emotional attachment. And we've just done some research, but... Doing investing on paper and doing investment in real life is completely different when you've got your own money at risk and you have to be prepared for the stresses and the caused by the markets going up or down, etc. And I don't know if everyone is prepared for those until they've actually got money um, going in the market. Nice one. So I guess are you saying that we should all be just taking our chances and getting in the market to overcome that fear or? Well, I think you have to um, start off. You don't put everything at once. You put a little bit at a time. You know, you, you invest a little bit, and you see how you go, and see if you're comfortable with the types of losses that or gains that you will make, and you will make losses um, if you're invested into an equity market. And then, as you become more comfortable and you begin to understand your own risk tolerance, you can then start building your portfolio. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think that's something that I learned the hard way, just how emotional it is when, you know, it's your money on the line early days and you see the numbers going up and down. So, yeah, I think that's definitely good advice. Yeah, and it's completely different than reading it on a newspaper where you say, or, you know, looking at where you're kind of like playing with pretend money. It's completely different when it's your own money at risk. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, George, for the listeners that haven't listened to our last interview, we thought we'd just start off with a brief introduction into... Uh, your background and how you got to where you are today uh, and sort of your investing journey as well. So, yeah, what what's your career and what's your background up to where you are now at Raise? Okay, so I'm quite tired and old. So I actually started in the <laughs> markets in the middle of the 80s. I actually did a degree in Bachelor of Science, which was majoring in computer science and applied mathematics, which at the time was quite in demand because they just had this new invention called the PC, and it was going on to all these desks, all these trading desks. So I, I actually got a job in London at a bank called Chase. I'm running programs initially for you know traders who are getting these new fangled computers called PCs on their desk that they were using because at the same time, the UK market had just begun liberalizing. And I started to learn about algorithms like oh, you know pricing options, et cetera. And then eventually I ended up what they call a quantitative analysis analyst and working for banks like Chase, um, I mean, Citibank, where you know I started off and eventually became the head trader for equity derivatives out of London and then went to First Chicago to do the same thing. And then after a while in the UK, I came back to Australia 
and went into retail funds management, funnily enough, mainly around property and infrastructure, and then um, set up my own company called InStreet. And then in about 2013, we began to investigate, you know, providing, you know, products online. And that led us to the journey of Acorns, which eventually became Raise. Interesting. So what did, uh, prior to 2013, what did InStreet uh, do otherwise? Well, InStreet issued products for financial advisors. So structured products to financial advisors. So it was backing off my um, equity derivatives, my derivatives background and um, designing products which went into self-managed super funds that allowed people to manage the downside risk. Rather than just oh, having nice. a normal type distribution, you could actually say you won't lose much more than this. Yeah, right. And out of interest, why did you decide to, um, you know, leave the bigger investment banks and, and pursue something on your own? Because uh, I'm not very good at working in a political environment or in large organizations. I like to move very quickly and that doesn't necessarily work at a large organization. And so, it, you know, it just didn't suit me from a personality point of view. Yeah, fair enough. So, as I mentioned at the start of the show, um, you know, we got you on on here, George, to to discuss uh, what is now Rays, but previously known as Acorns. And you know, you've gone through a big brand change, and you've also uh, done a IPO, initial public offering. Um, so, for those that are unaware, can you just give us a summation of what Rays is and and what what it offers um, to millennials and I guess anyone who's interested in getting into the market? Well, Raise is exactly the same as Acorns. All we did was change the name and change the colors associated with the name. Um, otherwise, it's still the same micro-investing platform. It's, um, it allows you to invest in, in the market, so that's a very limited choice. But you can start off with $5 um, to get fully invested in the market, and you can choose one of six portfolios from a conservative portfolio to an aggressive portfolio. So the aggressive portfolio will have more inequities, and the conservative one will be he very heavily weighted to less risky assets like bonds and cash. And then we also have a socially responsible portfolio. And then it offers a lot of features to help you save in the background of life. So obviously the one that is, I guess, the most well-known is the Roundup feature where you link certain spending accounts. And as you spend like $3.50 on a coffee, 50 cents is rounded up into the market and is saved for you. So as a you know individual, you don't actually have to start off by saying, how much do I need to save a month? Just by using the Roundup feature, as you spend, you'll also start to save. And then there are other automated features, like you can set up saving plans, or you can set up a goal that you want to save for and save for that. And then obviously you can just put in, you know, I want to put $100 in today um, into the account. Yeah, nice. The Roundups is quite a, a powerful little uh, a feature for, you know, those who, um, really want to get into the market and absolutely have no idea. I remember being at a at a party once, and uh, one of the girls there had uh, started had signed up with Acorns, you know, months and months ago, and then had actually forgotten all about it, and then logged back in. And purely due to the uh, the work of the roundups, she had you know a few hundred dollars in there that otherwise she wouldn't have had. So it's a it's a great little platform invested in the market. So it was good. It's like in the old days when you used to put all your loose change in a jar. And at the end of the yeah. year, you'd go, oh, my God, I've got more money than I ever thought. Yeah, it's, it's the uh, 21st century version of that. It is the 21st century <laughs> version of so that. So how did uh, Rays actually come to be in Australia? Because I know Acorns you know, started off in the US. Can you just give us a bit of a history on how it came to be in Australia? Sure. The, the US began, when they first started off, they began looking for joint venture partners globally, not just in Australia. And they actually had found one at that time, in, and they were further down the track with a, a group in South Africa. And then I, because of my IT skills, but also my market skills, I was introduced to them by my lawyers. And that's how the, and then we set up the joint venture here in Australia. And, you know, as I said, I like to move quickly and I just like to get things done. And so I just got it done. And before everyone knew it, um, Raise was set up in Australia. So we launched you know, less than just over a year after the US launch. But I actually began talking to them um, before they actually launched in the US. So, George, that, that brings us to the first major change that we we're hoping to talk about today. And that, that yeah. was the brand name change from uh, Acorns Australia to Rays. 
So to start with the basics, uh, why the change in name? So there are kind of two reasons. One is in January this year, the US and I, we, we didn't part company completely, but we pretty much part a company completely. They still have a quite a large holding in us, you know, just around 8%, 9%. But um, we don't really have any more cross-sharing of products or IT anymore, or IP, sorry. And so uh, as part of that deal to um, move away from the US, we had to um, change our name. So that was what as part of that deal. And so, you know, we were both going on slightly different product paths. We kind of had a different vision. We were more seeing it still as an investment type platform where they kind of saw it more of a, of a banking banking style type platform, I guess. And so that's why we kind of parted ways. And then secondly, um, Acorns, you know, the concept of acorns and you plant acorns and it grows into um, a mighty oak tree is a very common term in financial services. So there are lots of companies called acorns and it was causing a lot of confusion and mainly for the companies who had already kind of had acorns in their name. And so it was better from that point of view also to uh, rebrand. Interesting. And I guess uh, the next question that comes out of that is the the name Raise. Uh, where where did that come from, and how did you go about uh, making that decision? Correct. So, if there's any other bit of advice I can give someone, coming up with a name for a company in financial service is the hardest thing ever. Yeah, <laughs> one because it's such a fragmented industry. So every name that you think of, which is fantastic, has already gone. Yeah, not the raises and fantastic, but every name that you think of is already gone. So we started off with a list of 500 names oh. yep, and ranked in order. And then we go to the first, you know, you go to the first 50 names and you Google them and they're already gone. So then you go to the next 50 names and out of when you start Googling them, maybe 10 of them will be available. And then you go to your trademark lawyer and you say, okay, can we trademark this name? And they come back and say, no, there's a high risk that it won't get through trademark. And so eventually we had to come up to, we had to come up with a name for in English was slightly misspelled, I guess, for one of a better word, because it was less likely that it would create a trademark issue or that it had been taken on Google. And we were, we were actually, you know, polling people about the names, but we just get kept getting knocked back by the Google machine or our lawyers on trademark. And as we went down to the list, you know, we got to raise and it passed everything. But at the end of the day, it's just a name. And so if you, you know, if you think of Google, you know, we all know what it means now because of the brand that they've built around it. And that's about the experience that you have with Google and the, and that they keep their promises, you know, what, of what Google will deliver you. And so as long as we keep our customer service level high and, you know, build this personality around the Ray's brand, which is that we deliver what we say, it's just a name. It's really more about the service that we offer people and the way that we offer it, which is, which is far more important than what the name is. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, Does that um, make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I, I guess the, the question, so you had, you had a list of 500 and you were working down yeah. that list and eventually Ray's worked and fit all the criteria. Where was Ray's on the original list? Uh, it was in the top 100. Okay. <laughs> what was yeah. number 500? Can you remember? <laughs> no, I can't remember. It, it would have been something like there were there were some fun, funny ones like bambooey and stuff like that. Yeah, right. How did you what did you all just lock yourselves in a room for a period of time and said we need to come up with 500 names well, and go from there? No, we we live in a world of online, so there are actually websites that you can go to and you run competitions like come up with a name and the winner will get $500. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, you can so you generate got... hell of a lot of names. Right. So you got the market to generate for you. Yeah. Oh, not bad. Correct. So obviously you're saying there that it's about more about the service that you provide rather than rather than the name itself, um, yeah. which, which I can certainly understand, you know, but um, obviously, Acorns was a very recognised brand and name, and and you know ha- had established a great image behind it. So I, I imagine that the rebranding process is is quite difficult. 
and has provided a lot of challenges. I'm wondering if you can compare the, the rebranding experience that you've just gone through to actually sort of starting the starting a business and and talk us through some of the major challenges that you've found. Starting a business is, you know, you start off with one customer and then you get 100% growth when you get to two customers, et cetera, et cetera. So, you, you know, and you're building your brand the whole time. When you change your brand, it, it's kind of you have to think about what you were just talking about. We have a lot of word of mouth capital out there. And how do we do the change the brand in a way that we don't, you know, destroy that word of mouth capital too much? We knew we were going to lose a bit of it and we know – you know, we have to spend money to re, to you know, rebuild that word of mouth. Yeah. But we have to minimise losing that word of mouth, and so uh, that's kind of the discussion that we have. And you know, at the end of the day, people talk about oh, you have to do a lot of pop up communication inside the app, etc. And it's like, well, no, people when they open the app, they just want to go, oh, it's changed, but I now push this button and it does exactly the same thing as what it did before. So most of our rebranding communication was more concentrated on that kind of word of mouth that was out there mm. and trying to make sure that people understood that Rave was a same of Acorn. And it's a long process. You know, you, yeah. we only rebranded two and a bit months ago. It's still probably another three to six months. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then you have to deal with people who love the Acorn's name and go, I hate Rave, so I'm leaving the app. And then you've got other people who are going, you know, we're quite happy that you've become an Australian company and we think that's really great. But the majority of people just go, oh, the app does exactly what it did yesterday and as today, and so I don't really care. And it's the same company behind it or whatever, but that's for our users. It's more about how do we, you know, as you pointed out, how do we keep that word of mouth capital out there so that people understand it's the same. And that's just the type of thing that we've been concentrating on. Mm, interesting. So, George, you touched on it earlier, but we're interested in what the partnership and what the relationship with the US company is now. Did it make you change? Did you have to recut the portfolios from scratch and did you have to develop all the tech from square one? Or, or is it is it still sort of a lot of Acorns America in the in the new company? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh, it's still a lot of Acorns America and the new company. But before we even separated, we had re- rewritten about 60% of the stack, the IT stack ourselves anyway. A lot of the IP we had rewritten over the last 18 months up to the rebrand. So we we had the resources, et cetera, but it definitely starts off with the US core. Yep, for everything. So we didn't actually have to kind of go back to square one. It was just moving on. It just continued to move on. And from our point of view, we had operated as pretty much a completely independent company from day dot anyway. It really didn't change that much. Yeah, right. So does the rebrand in any way now, I guess, free you up to expand into markets outside of Australia? Is that something that's on the cards? uh, Or was that something that was possible when you were Acorns Australia anyhow? it wasn't that it wasn't as possible when we were Acorns Australia, but it it is possible now for us to do, and we're looking at Southeast Asian markets to do that. We are a fintech company, and things are moving very quickly, so we have to be looking at them and preparing them and getting them ready 
now so that we're, where we can launch, we can launch pretty quickly and we understand it. And that's what we're doing now. But, you know, our focus is still really on Australia. But we can't go, we can't operate in Australia for five years and then go, okay, let's go to Southeast Asia now because it, it is fintech, tech being the key term in this. And you have to move quickly in the technology space. You just can't wait, you know, five years and then think, I'm going to bring this app out because as they've seen, you know, the Acorns app has been copied many times over in the UK, many times over in Europe, and many times yeah. it's even being copied here. And we just can't, if we want to capitalize on the technology we've got, we've just got to move quickly. Yeah, fair. So, George, wrapping up our conversation about the first part of the change, which is the rebrand, Yeah. how has the, the feedback from customers and potential new customers been? Has it... Has it been positive? Has have customers dropped off because they're attached to the name? What it might be too early to judge whether it's been a success or not. But so far, like how how's it gone? Well, our customer numbers have grown, so there's, de- there's definitely we're still continuing to grow. Yep. Yeah. And our funds under management have grown significantly since we did the rebrand. So the business continues to grow. So the majority of our customers, I think, just went. Oh, it's the same app as it was yesterday. It's just a different name, providing the same service, same company, and has stayed with the app. We have definitely had a, an increase in churn compared to what we had historically, I guess is a word to say. However, you know, a lot of that will be contributed to the rebrand. Part of that will be contributed to shaky market at the end of March anyway. And part of it will just be, you know, people don't like change, but saying that we continue to grow and we are continuing to accelerate our growth yeah yeah so then that um brings us to the second big change that we were looking forward to talking to you about today and that was not only did you rebrand but then you went public (laughs) yeah (laughs) busy time for you (laughs) yeah I had, I've, you know, I had nothing to do for six months. Yeah. So I thought I'd just destroy myself. So it's only recent. Was it the twenty first of June that you officially were a public company? Twenty first of June, we we're officially admitted to the board, as they say. So I guess you know this is a rare opportunity for us to talk to the CEO of a public company. So maybe if you can take us back to, you know, you just rebranded. Uh, how did you make the decision to go public? Uh, what what were the factors that sort of weighed on your decision? And then what, what was the process leading up to the 21st of June? Mm. Okay. So it all started in October last year. Well, we knew the rebrand was coming. And so it was all combined together. Yeah. Right. So one of the things is that we needed liquidity to be able to buy the US out was one of the decisions. Yeah. And Australian investors like an exit. They like to know that there's an exit on the cards. So one of the ways that we were able to raise the capital for purchasing the US stake of um, Acorns, the joint venture in Australia, was by saying that we would list by June. And so that was one of the reasons behind it. So that reason. And that's really, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I really had no, you know, we always knew we were eventually going to become a listed company. It was just a matter of when. So that that was kind of like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, we've never thought about this before. Let's become a listed company. It was something that had always been discussed. It was just a matter of when was the best time to do it. Two, it allowed us to raise more capital on top of that so that we could meet, one, our regulatory requirements. So a third of the capital that we raised is to meet our regulatory regulatory requirement because we're the, a responsible entity we have to keep um 50 basis points of all the fund under management until we hit hit five billion dollars and um, our funds under management were beginning to grow quite rapidly and i would not have been able to have enough cash capital to meet that requirement unless i had was raised more capital and so to do that listing was the option as well at the same time we list we could raise capital for that regulatory requirement only a billion of farm under the management and we'll blow through that billion of farm under management for, you know quick enough that we needed to repay its capital and then it allowed us to raise some more capital to solidify the brand as we talked about 
because it, it's it's an ongoing process. It's not something that's completed in a two and a half month period. Okay, and they're kind of like the main reasons, but it also helped us to fund other things like development of the IT stack. It's mainly stuff that you don't see through the app. So the the Ray system is a lot more than just the software on the app. It's a complete end-to-end platform solution that runs a registry, it, um, investor communication, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it actually sits on about 60 to 70 computers in the cloud at, right. at various times. Yeah, they scale up and down depending on the amount of work they have to do. It's actually quite a complicated system and it's doing quite a lot. And in the last month, we've just migrated our database from, you know, a standard, you know, relational, relationship database to a more of a, what they call a cluster. So this is called an Aurora cluster, which is a, a is a better big data solution and allows us to do things like scale up databases a lot quicker if we need to for demand and also to um, handle the huge amounts of data that we have and also to build machine learning products to improve the user experience, et cetera, for the customer. Nice one. So when you made that decision and you engaged an investment bank, I imagine, to start doing the roadshow, what what was the yeah. what was the process like of going around to different investors and different funds and you know trying to sell sell yourself as a, a upcoming public float? Lots of dinners. Um, it's, no, no, we wasn't many dinners and there were lunches where where forty or fifty people would turn up, but not that many either. It's a, so the roadshows are actually quite short. They're not, it's not an extended period of time. It's, you know, you're talking about a week and a half. You're not talking about a month of roadshows because by the time you start the roadshow, you've pretty much got your prospectus finalized. And so it's a very short period um, that you're doing the roadshows, but you are doing seven to nine meetings in a day, telling the same story over and over again um, and seeing some fund managers who you who just don't get your business at all, and then talking to other fund managers who get it at the drop of a hat, and then talking to other people who you go into the meeting thinking that you're trying to talk about your business, and they start telling you their business. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So did you invest you, in you more? Get it all, you get all types. You get all types. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the key thing to me is that you're doing, as I said, seven to ten meetings a day, and you're saying the same story over and over again for a week and a half. So by the end of that week and a half, you're pretty much over the story. Yeah, you'd know it back to front. Just for the... Well, you, knew it, you actually knew it back to front before you walked in. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd actually hope so. Yeah. For our listeners that are unaware of what the roadshow actually is, George, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's uh, you going out there and, and selling and selling the idea of raise and, and the IPO to um, potential investors and backed by the investment bank. Correct. And you're talking to them and you're trying to illustrate where the value is in your business. Hmm. So let's talk about the the IPO, the day, the 21st of June. I can imagine that it probably would have been a sleepless night the night before. And uh, can you tell us? Oh, <laughs> but it, it should have. In retrospect, it should have been, but it wasn't. Now, well, yeah. let's let's yeah. So why why should it have been? What was the well, it, list price? The chef, and, yeah, because we raised the money at, at one at a dollar eight eighty. I mean, yep. you don't actually have to you know tread gently here. I get what you what points you're trying to get to. We raised at a dollar eighty, and I think and I think on that day it closed at a dollar forty. Yeah, and then subsequently it's traded quite down um, from that. So how much did we? How much did you raise in the? IPO? But the interesting thing, so we raised fifteen. We only raised fifteen million. So say so out of dollar eighty, the company is worth one hundred twenty million. But out of that, seventy percent of the stock can't be traded. So for people like me, I can't trade my stock for two years, for example. And then some of the um, the people who went in the pre the pre IPO can't trade their stock for a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah? And some of them for two years. So what happened? They call it escrow. And so what happens is that the free float only ends up to be twenty percent of the company. So we raise thirty percent of the company. So we raise fifteen million, but only twenty-four million is in what they call free float, which is, can be traded. You have everything else is locked up, and it comes off at various time periods based on ASX listing rules. And 
surprisingly, we had very low volume being traded. So when most a lot of stocks IPO, it's very common to get trading volumes above 10% of the market cap traded in a day. And you you would have heard stories about companies that you know trade 100% of their market cap on the first day in value. Yep. And we only had 5% of our market cap traded. So it, it was a very thinly traded opening. And obviously, there was no new news. It, it just went down. You know, it's really hard to understand. I can't really comment on why I did that, even though I have my own opinions. But it's just unfortunate. It did. I mean, nothing has changed in the business. Nothing changed from the presentation that we had done less than, you know, just over a month before that. Nothing had changed from the information that we released in the prospectus. It's just that the market's attitude had changed. And why it changed, I don't know. Hmm. We were reading that you had quite strong support for the IPO from Asian markets and from Hong Kong. I guess the first question is, was what we were reading correct? Um, and then the second question is, do you, do you know why there was such a strong attraction from these Asian markets? The answers are yes and yes. So, we're, but just so that we're clear, there wasn't really, when we have a look at the breakdown, most of it went into high net worth individuals and um, to raise customers. You know, the institutions didn't have a very a large size of amount of money that was allocated to them in the um, IPO process. But out of that, the money that was allowed for institutions, which was allocated to institutions, uh, quite a large percentage went overseas. You know, there are a couple of reasons. So we don't really have many. So Australia's not very good with growth. We don't really have many growth companies or growth stories here in Australia. We're, you know, we're much more conservative we look at PEs and earnings, and we all sit here and go, oh, why did Amazon double in the last 12 months in valuation when they haven't made a profit? Yeah, because we Australian investors aren't that great at understanding growth. And at the same time, we don't really have that many great growth managers here, you know, growth CEOs. But in Asia and offshore, like in countries like Asia and offshore in the US, et cetera, they understand growth a lot better. And, you know, one of the reasons, obviously, is that Australia is quite a small market from a, from a population point of view with only 23, 24 million people, while Indonesia is 290 million, the US is 300 million, Europe, you have access to over 350 million. So the concept of growth, you know, is like, well, you might only get to um, 1% of the population or, you know, if you get to 10% of the population, you know, it's 2.4 million here, but it's 30 million people in the US. But the the other big difference between Australia and a lot of other countries is that when it comes to fund management, suddenly Australia goes from being a, a small country to the fourth largest country in the world of funds under management and the pension system. And you're suddenly playing in a global field. And that's the kind of, that's the field that, you know, that's the area that this app, this technology is aimed for. And that's why we have to concentrate so much on the um, on the Australian market and all the stuff coming out of the Royal Commission and the Productivity Commission, et cetera, around um, the way the incumbent, incumbent financial institutions are treating their clients gives us a great opportunity to grow our business in that area. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I just want to pick up on one thing you said there. So you said you raised money from uh, high net worth individuals, institutions, but also from raised customers. Yes. Which I imagine isn't the norm for a lot of these IPOs with the companies raising money from their customers. No. What was the process there? And um, do you think it was something that, you know, if another uh, public uh, company CEO came to you to ask how that experience was, would it be something that you'd recommend? Um, we're in a very unique position compared to other companies where we, our customers are financial services customers. Yeah. We, and, and we have a very large customer database. So I know that a lot of co- companies will do that, will offer their customers a way to get in and they might not get the same type of demand that we get. Yeah. We were four, over four times subscribed on the amount of money that we had allocated to our customers. Even our investment bankers were surprised how engaged our customers were in the um, the IPO process. That's really interesting. So speaking of customers, you know, um, obviously Raise is 
excellent for people who are new to investing with, you know, the automatic roundups and predefined portfolios um, based on their sort of level of risk that they're comfortable with. But we're interested to know sort of what what's the retention strategy going forward? You know, as people start to understand markets better, is there um, the likelihood that they might move on from raise? And, you know, do you foresee maybe perhaps offering uh, direct access to stocks and ETFs in the future? So the first thing is that raise is not necessarily either or product. It's not saying that, you know, if you have raise, you can't have a broking account or you can't buy a mutual fund. And as you pointed out at the beginning of the, you know, of this podcast, you had a friend who forgot that she had a roundups turned on and suddenly she had $200 in her raise account. So yeah. it's just, it's a way of saving. It's not, we're not going out there saying, you know, this is the only product in the investment space. And so get rid of your broking account. Yeah. It's just another, it's another product that you should have as well as your, all the other ways that you're doing because the way it works is that you know as your friend noticed she didn't notice she forgot that she had about it because it's always just taking out small amounts on a regular basis and so you don't affect your lifestyle so that's the answer to the first part of your question the answer to the second part of your question is um definitely and i guess that's another reason why we changed the name from acorns to rays is because as our customers grow, we want to grow with our customers. So that as they become more experienced in markets, et cetera, um, we'll be able to introduce other financial services products. So recently we've introduced a super product, which is also combined into the app. We've also been thinking about online broking products, et cetera. And the beauty about it is that we have such a large database that our customers really tell us where they want to go. Like they told us that they wanted a superannuation product. And if if they start telling us that they want more control over how to build their portfolios or to be able to individual stocks, then we'll be able to deliver that to them. And so that we'll, as they grow, we'll grow and we'll become a much more mature financial services company. Ah, that's that's interesting. It's it's good to see, good to know, and I'm excited to see these changes. Last time we spoke, uh, you you obviously mentioned that savings account sort of aspect, and and that's one way that a lot of the users were using it. You know, withdrawing after they hit sort of a goal that they were saving towards to go on their cruise or whatever it may be. And I definitely agree that it's a great supplementary product for investing, um, not necessarily the be all. And end all and the only one. So I'm interested, you know, in the last five months or so, have you seen um, a change in the way that people are using Raise as, as more and more people come to use it and understand it? Is it less of a savings account and more of a long-term thing or have you noticed any major changes? Well, we know that um, the account balances are growing and we know that um, more and more people do have larger sums of money in there. So we have seen that. But the majority of people are still using it for as a savings tool or to learn about markets. Yep. And not just to learn about markets, but also to learn about um, um, saving. As, as we know, and as we talked about right at the beginning, financial, your financial situation can create a lot of stress in your life. So the Raise app gives you a way of doing something proactively and empowering you to actually do something to improve your financial situation. And that's more about people using it for saving for a goal or saving up for a rainy day fund or something like that. So, George, my ears picked up there where you uh, mentioned super. Now, obviously, um, super is a massive, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars in Australia alone. Um, so there's a massive opportunity there. So what plans do you have to sort of go after that super market and, and how are they going? Well, we're not going to become Woolworths and go into the supermarket, but we are. Hey, I work for Woolworths, come on. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, yeah, but we don't want to have a third player in Australia. We just need to have that oligopoly. Um, the, um, we already, we launched our super product on Monday. Um, we've been beta testing it for about a month and a bit behind the scenes and it's up and running now. And it's obviously only early days because it's Monday and now it's Wednesday. But, you know, as I said, this demand for a super product was driven by a client and they now have it. It's all integrated into the app. You don't actually to sign up to super because you're already signed up to the Raise app. You don't actually have to do much. You don't have to, like, re-enter your name and your address, et cetera. It's just pushing buttons and ticking the options you want and then off you go. 
and you can invest it into the same portfolios that exist on the Raise app. So if you've been using the Raise app for a while, you, you understand the portfolios and, and how they buy, behave in markets. And again, you'll be able to see in real time in the palm of your hand what your super balance is doing. Yeah. Whether that's a good thing or a um, bad thing, I, you know, because super is a long-term investment, time will tell. But I do think it helps people realize because people forget about their super and um, don't realize what their balance is. And, you know, especially, especially a lot of millennials and they read a lot of press about, uh, you have to save, start saving now, et cetera. When the moment they get a job, they start saving into their super. And so, you know, it kind of in some ways makes them feel wealthier because they suddenly know exactly what their position is. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're, yeah. Not re- they're not really as badly financially off as they thought they were when they look at their bank account. Yeah, yeah. Now, with this super product, will the functionality of raise be combined with the super? Like, will you be able to round up into your super account or will they stay separate? Uh, you won't be able to ra- They'll stay separate, but you can do a transfer from your raise account into the super account. Okay, cool. Talking about raise and super, you know, your company seems to be in the middle of a couple of major investing trends that we're seeing around the world. One around making it easier and easier to put money into the market, and then another one around simplifying the investment products that are available, you know, with the six portfolios that you offer. So, yeah. um, when you look at the market, it's obviously getting more competitive in Australia. So, how do you sort of see yourself continuing to sort of differentiate against some of your competitors that are coming into the market? You know, your Spaceship Voyager app, your Stake app, who are also sort of trying to jump on these investing trends? Sure. So, Stake is um, Stake is obviously um, more of a stockbroking style app than where you go individual stocks, I hope. I may be talking out of school because I better wind that back because I've actually never sat down and looked at stake in its entirety. And then um, the Voyager product is more about just making the investment. It doesn't have the roundup features, et cetera, that we have. And so it doesn't help you accumulate and save money and learn to and learn about saving small amounts of money and, and how that can build up over time. It doesn't have things like the raise reward program so that rather than getting, you know, loyalty points, you actually get cash invested back into your account, etc. So, you know, Acorns is really not about, you know, we're not going out there saying we are the best fund manager in the world. We're giving you a tool that will help you, you know, empower yourself to get on top of your financial situation. Let's talk about raise rewards there. It's something that I notice has uh, grown quite significantly since we last spoke. I get a number of updates through the app, uh, you know, letting me know what uh, companies and stuff I can uh, participate in. Do you want to just give us a, a brief rundown on, on what raise rewards is and what it offers? Sure. So what raise rewards offers is ability that when you shop at one of our partner shops online, and you make your purchase, they'll invest a certain percentage or a fixed amount of money back into your raise account, which you can leave there and let it grow, or you could actually deduct it and um, spend it if you really wanted to. So we did. We did last quarter. You know, for quarter ending in June, we did about seventy-eight thousand dollars worth of transactions for over twelve thousand transactions. So on average, people were getting about five dollars invested back. Every time they did a transaction online, and it might be with a Woolworths online or a Dan Murphy's or when they buy a ticket on Virgin, et cetera. But, you know, it was another way of, you know, accumulating your savings as you do something that is completely normal and what you're doing anyway. Yeah, it's a, it's a great concept, I think. Something definitely worth looking into. So I know we discussed it on the last episode, but it would be great to chat about it because it was very new when I spoke to you last, George, and that was the uh, ethical portfolio. Um, you were saying that there's a lot of demand for it. Are there any other portfolios that you're getting demand for at the moment and you're, you're thinking of adding? So you've got the sort of six portfolio options based on risk and then your ethical one. Um, is there anything else on the horizon? No, not for me. For my staff, who are all a lot younger than me, they love cryptocurrencies 
and they're constantly telling me to put a cryptocurrencies into the app. And I'm constantly saying, but I don't know anything about cryptocurrencies and we don't have any skills in house of managing cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Um, but they put a lot and a lot of pressure. And then they see what do you ever follow an app called Robinhood? Heard of it, yeah. It's on the horizon, but never seems to be coming. So <laughs> Yeah. But in the US they in the US they added cryptocurrencies and they signed up an, a million new millennial users in a month on the back of that. Wow. But um I don't know the thing I struggle with and I'm probably wrong, is it's very volatile, um, cryptocurrencies, obviously, and um, it's it, it hasn't kind of calmed down yet. And it's, does, does that really fit, fit the style of, you know, investing on a regular basis, small amounts of money, et cetera? Yeah, it's interesting, the demand for these crypto uh, portfolios. And I, I think it's just representative of the fact that not a lot of us millennials actually know much more about crypto than you know anyone else but uh we you know see something there and want to get on the bandwagon and the easiest way is for someone else to create the portfolio and for us just to put our money there and cross our fingers so <laughs> i'm not surprised that they yeah, signed yeah. up signed up a million yeah but it is quite you know the way i look at it is that i remember when i started out in the markets my grandfather when he found out i was in the markets always used to talk to me about gold and I was going, why is he talking about gold the whole time? No one really trades gold anymore. But obviously in his time, they, you know, gold was far more important as a financial indicator than it is now. And my grandchildren will probably start talking to me about crypto. Well, I'll talk to them about, I'll be talking to them about shares and they'll be going, what are you talking about? Why are you talking about cryptocurrencies and, you know, the tokens that go with these initial currency off, initial coin offerings? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. Yeah. I'm excited to see what happens with it all. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it all pans out. Yeah, there seriously is a lot more regulation that has to come in around a lot of this um, cryptocurrency because there, there's still a lot of scams happening out there because oh, it's just sure. not regulated. Yeah. So, George, I was looking over your website and uh, reading about the portfolios that Ray's offer, and um, it caught my eye that the Dr. Harry Markowitz, so one of the founders of yep. Modern Portfolio Theory um, and a Nobel yep. Prize winning economist had helped out in building the portfolios. So I was just interested to know um, well, what was it like working with him and ha- how much has he worked on the portfolios for Ray's? Well, I mean, it's always great to work with them, but the way, the way we actually did the work was just by uh, white papers. Yeah. So he would write what he thought and then I would modify it because we had to make the um, portfolios very, you know, and he agreed that we had to make the portfolios orientated for the Australian market. Yeah. And then he'd produce efficient frontiers and then we'd have a look at portfolios around the efficient frontiers. And then, but it was all done mainly by email and, you know, writing your thoughts down like in exam type papers. That's really interesting about why you want to why you'd want to change it and whatever and you know, um, and that's how we that's how we, the collaboration worked. Fair enough. So the portfolios are a little bit more than your straight index funds. The portfolio. There was a lot of thought that went into the portfolios, and people would actually go to us. Why do you have so you know why you know if I do my unconstrained optimization, they might end up with more in the US, for example, or and less in Australia. And it's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, these are portfolios for Australian investors who are an entry-level product into the investment markets. If they only have a smaller amount in Australian equities, like in the aggressive portfolio, how do we explain to them how FX risk works? And, um, you know, when the Australian dollar was weakening, everyone was going to me, oh, no, you need more in the US, you need more in overseas. And when the Australian dollar strengthens, all that conversation dries up. Yeah. So there actually is a there wasn't we did a lot of work on how to kind of, for one of a better word, passively manage the currency risk, so um, it would get balanced out so that we we would minimise that as well while having foreign exposure. Fascinating stuff. I think that's a really good point to to wrap it up on george so uh, i just want to say thanks for 
having us on the show. Um, it's it's been an interesting um, period for for us to observe the brand change over the last couple of months. You know, we've had a number of listeners writing into us and and uh, us and asking you know if we knew anything about it and and why why the name change, what's it all about, has anything changed with the company? So obviously, we thought it was a great opportunity for us to to get you on, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will uh, now be able to sleep easy knowing that raise is the is the same product and the, and the same sort exactly of the same product same service yeah. but just stronger we've just got more cash <laughs> that's always, a good, that's always, always a good, good yeah yeah we're actually better off than we were from a you know balance sheet point of view than we were before the ipo well there you go so um the key there is the ipo i guess and and it was a it was a really interesting uh conversation as Alec mentioned, it's very rare that we get an opportunity to talk to a CEO of a public company, let alone get to talk to them so soon after an IPO. And it's a process that is is quite fascinating to us. So thanks for sharing all that. Uh, and as I said, I'm, I'm, I, know, I know a lot of our listeners would have uh, got a lot of, out of what you had to say. So yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.